by the power of your spirit, O oh God, startle us with your word and awaken us to your truth. For Jesus' sake, amen. Now, before we read about God calling the prophet Jeremiah, consider a little bit of the historical context. You remember that King David, the shepherd king, he ruled Israel about a thousand years or so before Jesus. And then he was followed by his son, who at least in his youth was wise, Solomon. Those were the glory days of the kingdom of Israel. But after Solomon, the kingdom divided, ten tribes making up the northern kingdom and two the southern. And in about 722 B.C. or so, Syria, Assyria conquered Israel and Israel ceased to exist. The little kingdom of Judah, with those little two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, they couldn't defend themselves against the superpowers of those days, Babylon and Egypt. So times were troubled when God called Jeremiah to be a prophet. Listen now for God's word for us in that first chapter of Jeremiah, starting at the fourth verse. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Then I said, oh, Lord God, truly, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I am only a boy. For you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever command I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck out and pull down, to destroy and to overflow, to build and to plant. I'll mention that commentators say, well, there's a lot of speculation about how old a boy he really was, but he sure didn't feel qualified, did he? Well, moving to our gospel lesson, you know, last Sunday we focused on how Jesus read verses from that 61st chapter of Isaiah in the synagogue there in Nazareth and said, these words have been fulfilled today in your hearing. And by doing that, Jesus claimed that that scripture as sort of a mission statement for his congregation in the synagogue, that, that was fine. Oh, we like Isaiah. But listen now to how they responded to his preaching about that scripture as we read from the fourth chapter of Luke, starting uh, at about the 15th verse. Then he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Dr. Curie yourself, and you will say, do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land, yet Elijah was sent 
to none of them except a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. None of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the congregation were filled with rage. They got up and drove him out of town and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built and they, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through in the midst of them and went on his way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh Lord, may our thoughts and may my words be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, before I ask this question, let me be real clear. This is what you call a rhetorical question and not a question to be answered out loud or by the raising of hands or anything. <laughs> Have you ever felt like throwing the preacher off a cliff? <laughs> really? <laughs> well, consider the congregation at the Nazareth synagogue. What was it about Jesus' sermon that got them so angry? They didn't just say, well, this is boring and I'm, I'm going to pay attention to my iPhone. They didn't just grumble, he's off this week. They didn't suggest, you know, maybe we need to get a new preacher, a different preacher next time. No, they didn't just say they felt like throwing him off the cliff. They actually tried to do it. So what did he say or do to offend them so much? Well, one thing he did not do is work wonders there as he had elsewhere. The modern equivalent might be if you bought some of those expensive tickets and you went over to, I don't know, a big place in Durham or some other concert venue to hear your favorite band, your favorite singer, and then... They didn't do any of their big hits. I'm reminded of the first time I went here, Doc Watson in person that was over in Chapel Hill and Memorial Auditorium. And along the way, he, got to, he played a bunch of songs. He and Merle in those days. And there was one fella who kept calling out a request. Folks on the run, folks on the run. And he was just obnoxious about it over and over. Well, you know, if you know anything about professional musicians, they have a set of what they're going to do and when they're going to do it. They know how they're going to tune their instruments. They've got a plan. It's not like the middle of the concert is a request thing. <laughs> and people, and we wondered, you know, how's this going to go? Well, between tuning songs, after about the tenth guy time, a guy yelled, "Folks on the run!" Earl looked up from tuning his guitar and said, Son, I remember my first beer too. <laughs> Everybody laughed. He didn't, he didn't holler that at anymore. And then later on in the show, guess what they played? Fox on the run. <laughs> well, you know, they went expecting one thing and he didn't do it. They were all ready for their version of Fox on the run. And and that's not what they got. Instead, he, Jesus quoted a couple of sayings. You know, Cindy, well, you're going to say, Doctor, cure yourself or do these things in your hometown that you did everywhere else. Play your greatest hits, right? And he told them, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. 
Well, that might have raised a few eyebrows for him, you know, but, but then it got worse. Jesus pointed out that not one but two examples of Old Testament prophets, Elijah and Elisha, doing something miraculous to help outsiders, those Gentiles, even, even though there were plenty of Israelites in the same kind of need. You know, they had to be thinking their version of whatever happened to the principle, Israel first, right? Or in that case, maybe it was Judah first. Well, the notion that God's grace, that God's care, God's healing was for all people, all of God's children, not just for the Israel. That was the notion they couldn't abide. We just ain't gonna put up with that. And so they drive him off to this high cliff. It's about a mile and a half from the synagogue I've read. They throw him off to a certain death, horribly painful death. Do you remember what Jesus had claimed as his mission statement from what he read from Isaiah? Five things. Proclaiming good news to the poor, release to the captive, giving sight to the blind, freeing the oppressed, and five, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. Well, that sounds pretty good, right? But it involves unwelcome change, reversal of fortune. You see, life was, if you did all that, life was not going to be about, you know, whoever gets all the marbles, the most marbles, Whoever dies with the most toys wins. That wasn't what it is. Because life in the community of faith does not consist in getting more, but in sharing well. And then Jesus let his hearers know good news wasn't going to just be for them, but for outsiders, Gentiles. And since all of us, as far as we know in here, are Gentiles, we ought to be grateful for that. Gentiles, too. And that's when the trouble started. Angry reactions to God's message. They didn't surprise Jesus. He knew the story of the prophet Jeremiah. If you read the book of Jeremiah, you'll find Jeremiah never ever preached a sermon that hearers, hearers liked. They did not line up afterward and say, Oh, I enjoyed your message, prophet Jeremiah. Oh, it meant so much to me this week. They, none of that happened. Boy, if you think you read him, you'll find he denounced the king, he denounced the clergy, he denounced the people's behavior, he denounced the rich for exploiting the poor, and so on. When he told them the Babylonians were going to come in and rip it, rip them to shreds, well, they worked him over pretty good and threw him in jail. Later on, they got mad again, and they threw him in an open cistern. It didn't have much water in it, but he was in mud up to his armpits, it says. Well, you get the idea. Following God's call, speaking the truth to people, that made life tough for Jeremiah. And as we read in Luke, when Jesus told people of his hometown things they didn't want to hear, well, their response was to try to kill him. So what can you and I, what can we learn from the stories of Jeremiah's call and Jesus' sermon in Nazareth? We can learn that God calls people like you and me to do his work, even in Jeremiah's case, young boys or others who may not feel confident, who may not feel they know how to speak. We can learn that following God's call may not be easy. It may not be the popular path. 
Speaking God's truth can get you in trouble with people. We can speak the truth and be rejected, or worse. They might not just unlike you on Facebook, they might burn your house down or something. Well, we can also learn, we can learn to persevere, to keep going, to not give up. Jesus did not escape the crowd on the cliff and then decide, ooh, I think I'm going to get out of ministry and try some sort of sales work. No. <laughs> Maybe he could go back to being a carpenter, you know. He kept going, proclaiming the reign of God, preaching good news to the poor, released to the captives, teaching by word and deed, blessing the children, healing the sick, binding up the brokenhearted, eating without castes, forgiving sinners, calling all to repent and to believe the gospel. And so, with believers and every time and place, you and I, we rejoice that nothing in life, nothing in death, nothing at all can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Amen. That second hymn we had said, Use me, Lord, even me. Now, I told you last week that... Uh, one of the writers had said, you know, you might be called to change, do some miracle, but probably not. But it may be that what we're called to do is to make a phone call to someone who's lonely or make a peanut butter sandwich to someone who's hungry or do something that uses some talent, some gift we have to help others. So go forth celebrating faith. Go forth celebrating hope, celebrating love. Go forth to be the transformed, changed people of God that God calls us to be. Go forth to transform the world in times of prosperity and in times of disbelief or hostility or fear or rejection. Go forth with the sure and certain knowledge that you are always, always surrounded by the presence of God, our rock and our redeemer. May the love of God uphold you, the light of Christ guide you. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit fill you with joy now and forever. Amen.